to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. Thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I am your host. I am Jordan Porter, and I am not joined by Yvonne Brandenburg today. I'm in, I am joined by one of my very good friends, Alicia Degenhart. Hi, Alicia. Hi. How are Hi you? Hi from Wisconsin. I'm good. Warm Wisconsin, though. Warm Wisconsin. Good Wisconsin. This is like the time of year that I really should come out and visit you. It is really nice right right now. Yep. You've got a three-month window. Yes. So um, <laughs> three months. Wow. Which is crazy because like my summers are like the busiest time of my year because of like birthdays and things. Um, we got to cram it all in. We've got to cram it in in a very short amount of time. I know. It's wild. Um, I also want to make a <laughs> disclaimer. I have a little baby chick in the chick hospital today in my office. So if you hear chirping in the background, just um ignore that he's he's just he's fine he has foul pox which people should look up i learned a lot about foul pox it's like chicken pox for chickens um and it's transmitted by mosquitoes so like lots of birds get it obviously <laughs> like um he's doing fine though he just can't see and i didn't want him getting picked off by hawks around me uh alicia got to meet him this morning he's cute he, he's very cute yeah and then um usually I banter about like all of my animals like at the beginning of these podcast episodes but my baby duck hatched which was great and uh so we welcomed Quactavius the 11th to our family and I got to show Alicia Quactavius and I'm I have such duck envy we had (laughs) such a hard time coming up with duck names because like we when I say we spent like two whole days on just trying to come up with duck names like so we wrote down all of our original ducks names so we have um we have sushi and ramen sir quackington um cheese and quackers (laughs) buff boy and then frank and then so we had to like come up with a unique name for quactavius although frank is like the exception (laughs) No, Frank's good. I mean, two days spent picking a duck's name is uh, time well spent, spent priorities. Yeah, it was good family bonding. Like we wrote down yeah. a list and everything. And then like, you know, like you remember my children. Um, they have gotten to that age now too, where like they say some of the wildest things. <laughs> like, And so like we started writing down some of the random stuff that they say um, just for humor. And so like on our duck naming page there's also this little corner of b and c having a conversation that i was writing down um and so that's hanging on the fridge because the kids were like why why did you write down our conversation and i was like because you like they were talking about like the goldfish crackers right Mm -hmm. they had a handful of them and they were leaving to go down to their friend's house to swim and connor's like are you bringing the goldfish with you and bailey's like yeah and he's like in the pool and she's like no he's like okay good because they'll drown and bailey's like they're not real (laughs) and so it was just like one of those things where i'm like they just have those conversations like connor especially connor will be sarcastic without even like acknowledging that he's being sarcastic so it's just it's wild 
Before we kind of dive into this episode, we did want to kind of mention a new partnership that we have formed. And I love it because like, I've stalked this page for a while. And like, um, so Love Huvet is one of our newer partners. And if you've never heard of Love Huvet, I strongly recommend that you go and look at the website and we'll share a link to in the show notes as well as a wonderful discount code. Um, but Love Huvet stands for the love for humans of vet med. And so that's exactly what they do is Love Huvet makes products for veterinary professionals um, just to kind of feel love and supported and seen. And the products are created by vet tech for other vet techs. Just, you know, I don't know if you know that that's what Yvonne and I do too. So vet techs, woo! <laughs> I said Emily's super smart and super creative. Yeah, Absolutely. And so she makes wonderful products. If you haven't seen, we're going to share some photos too. Um, but I got a wonderful skull keychain and a t-shirt and a beautiful sticker that says that we're the perfect cross match. And unlike me, Yvonne didn't open her box right away. No, for some I got reason. it yesterday and it was like a crazy day. And I was like, I don't want to open it and spoil the surprise because I'm a surprise person. But it's really cute we're nerdy like that but the little box is super cute it says love huvet and it's l-o-v-e-h-u-v-e-t um mm -hmm. and it's because you know it says love for the humans of vet med and that's that's where she got it and she she used to have a different name for her company too so um you know this Normally is vet stickers we wanted to share that Love Huvet, since they partnered with us, they are offering a discount to all of our listeners uh, for their wonderful, wonderful products. There's clothing, there's scrunchies, there's scrub caps, there's t-shirts, there's um, koozies for drinks, and there's all the stickers and pins and all this amazing things. So please go check out um, those products at lovehuvet.com and use the discount code IMFVT10 to get your 10% off. Um, and like I said, that is IMFVT for internal medicine for vet techs, 10 to get your 10% off at Love Huvet. Um, anyway, Alicia, tell us about yourself. Tell, um, why do I have you on here? We're going to be talking about kind of this is going to go along the lines of like upping your tech game and just kind of utilizing yourself appropriately for work. Right. Like, because we all think that working as quickly and as efficiently as we can is what we need to do in clinics most often. And Alicia wrote this phenomenal article about how multitasking can actually hinder us. And so I wanted to bring her on to talk about it. So first just tell us about yourself a little bit, Alicia. Sure. Why are you so wonderful? Why well, I, that's, um, wow, that's really nice of you. And I have been mistaken for wonderful and knowledgeable before. So I'm really glad it's happening again. Um, <laughs> I am a CVT up here in Wisconsin. I worked with Jordan for one year in internal medicine in Savannah, Georgia, which is how we met. And it was great. Um, but I moved back home to accept a part-time teaching position here at our local community college where we have a CVTEA accredited veterinary technician program. So right now I am a general practice CVT, which is what I've done for most of my veterinary career has been general practice. And um, 
doing that and doing the part-time teaching. I was a teacher before I became a vet tech. I taught in high school and I was an English teacher. So I really love that aspect of things. Uh, working in the clinic has also been great. I pretty much went to do that because I had always wanted to do that. I just, um, when I went to college, I liked books, got an English degree, didn't know what to do with it, got a teaching degree. It was one of those kind of yeah. um, meandering paths that ended up actually taking me some really cool places. So now I'm doing the combination veterinary and education thing, which is great. And then I'm working that English degree in with the writing thing, which I love writing. I love research. Um, and so, yeah, that's pretty much how I ended up here. And I'm I'm mix and matching everything. So I joke sometimes that I have three part-time jobs. Um, but it's not a joke. I actually do have three part-time jobs, yeah. <laughs> um, one of which is freelance. So it's really less of a part-time job. But yeah, it keeps me busy. And then on the side, I foster for the Humane Society with cats because cats are my... I do stuff. love seeing all your it's, posts about your kittens and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty much what I think about all the time is cats. <laughs> so yeah, that works out really great. Got oh six five-day-old kittens upstairs right now with their mama so see you you can just harbor the kittens you're like my Yvonne today because she harbors kittens as well and I harbor oh, great just yeah. miscellaneous things yeah <laughs> yeah I don't well I live in the middle of a city so I do not have the um the whole menagerie thing going but I do live four blocks from our uh, county zoo so oh, at least nice. I can I can actually hear lions roaring when I drink my coffee in oh. the morning which oh, is pretty cool. And the so howler jealous. monkeys at all times. I'd be <laughs> yeah, it's, so... it's cool. <laughs> it's very I, cool. My, uh, one of my friends from my last job, Laura, she lives in California, uh, actually very close to where my business partner Yvonne used to live. And she sent me this article yesterday about this otter, the sea otter that's giving every, and you know how much I love sea otters. Oh, who doesn't? <laughs> and so she sent me this article about how this like sea otter is like stealing people's surfboards and just evading wildlife authorities. Oh, I, like... I saw that sea otter. And of course they had the disclaimer, this is a wild animal. This is really dangerous. And inside I go, yeah, but I would like love to get kicked off of my surfboard by a sea otter. Like I just I can't be mad about it. No, a thousand percent. That's how I feel too. And so I'm just like, <laughs> I love that this otter is making the news, especially like in today's world. And like, I just, uh, I hope it just keeps evading authorities and just keeps stealing things because they call it the pirate otter. And I'm like, my two favorite things. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that's the news that I'm here for. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the type of news that I will like actually seek out. <laughs> like, I'm just like, <laughs> this is great. Um, but anyway, so I wanted to bring you on and talk about just kind of Right. Like we, we strive to be the best possible like technicians or veterinary professionals that we can be. And uh, oftentimes we, I know I've done it and you've watched me do it, right? Like it, we try to do everything at once, right? Like that's how we feel about our roles where we feel like we must multitask to the best of our abilities in order to be efficient and get things done right. Right. And get things done quickly. But reading your article and I read it, forever ago but it's just like it all makes so much sense so what kind of triggered you to write this article 
And by the way, can you tell everybody what your article's title is and where to find it? And I'm oh, going to yeah. share it in our show notes as well. Okay. The article is called Multitasking Monster, and it was published in Pet Vet Magazine. I don't remember the issue, um, so I apologize for that. But they have a website, and the magazine is available entirely online and is also uh, print and sent out to clinics. And you can actually sign up for your clinic to get it for free, which is really cool. You can do that on their website. And that is the magazine that I write for. Um, so my articles come out pretty regularly in there. Sometimes they have requests for me. A lot of times I pitch ideas. Nice. So what then triggered, I, I you started writing this article when you and I worked together, right? I started writing this article when I was at my previous general practice, actually, in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. But it, did it publish while we were working together? It published while we were working together. Okay. I was like, yeah. I, okay. So Fre frequently the there's like a six month lag time between me writing something and publishing unless it's a urgent request. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So um, what kind of triggered you then to take notice of this and like kind of realize that it actually is an in it's an in-clinic issue right like it's everywhere yeah and I mean the fact that this is the article I have a number of articles that have come out and this is definitely the one that I have been um that people have reached out to me the most about mm -hmm. um so I have talked about this article before on another podcast um and I've had a number of people contact me because of this article. And I think that really speaks to how many people can relate to this being an issue or recognize it as an issue and how many people have cited this as a contributor to yeah. their burnout or um, frustration in working at a clinic. Yeah. So what, what prompted me to write it a couple of things. So one is just my nature. Um, something that is, I think, as a writer, researcher, educator, it is to my advantage that I have a tendency when I'm overwhelmed um, to become an observer. Mm -hmm. And I refer to it as David Attenborough mode, because basically, I will f kind of flip where I don't feel present in the situation and instead in in my head I'm narrating the human behavior that you're seeing here is dot 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 and I'll just be watching everybody like it's a documentary and kind of paying attention to interactions what's happening and trying to slot that into my understanding of why people might be doing something or what type of behaviors are associated with this type of stimulus. So that's a normal experience for me. And I don't, I don't gather that it's a normal experience for everybody. Um, but that allows me sometimes to then take that information and then I'll just deep dive research it. Like, yeah, what's happening here? Um, where has this been studied? What are the solutions to this? And um, because that tends to happen when, I've, when I'm overwhelmed, it happens a lot when I'm in a veterinary clinic. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, so I can step back and say, okay, well, this doesn't seem to be working for not just for me, but it looks like it's not working for other people. I'll ask for feedback. And from there, um, 
the multitasking issue was one that just was so consistently identified anecdotally when I talked with people and then supported by research as like a fundamental issue in most or I can't say all, but I'll say most veterinary environments. So that's really what prompted me to do it is I thought, well, like there's, there's got to be a workaround or a solution for this, or at least a better understanding of, of why this is a problem and why working faster and harder and more isn't fixing it because that, like you said, that's what people are, are trying to do typically and they're not making headway. Yeah. And I think that's, it's hard, right? Because like, I, I, I think it stems obviously like before a lot of people get in vet med, I think that's just the world that we live in where it's like, we're almost just trained from as children to kind of like multitask and like get things done. But then it kind of gets exacerbated. Like once you get into a career and my only career has been vet med. So it's like, I very much see it because it was like, I felt like I wasn't good enough if I couldn't multitask well enough, but then I would always beat myself up so hard if I would miss something or if I'd skip a step or if I would like make a mistake. Right. And then it was one of those, it was like a constant, it was a constant uphill battle. It felt like where I was yeah. like, I'm trying to be so efficient, but then I was always beating myself up because a, I, I didn't make it to this thing, this task that I needed to get done, or I messed up this task or I missed this little minor detail on this task. And, you know, like ultimately it never like ruined my day, but it was just like one of those stressors that built up over time. Yeah. And you're, you're not alone. It's, it's one of the main things that people, um, both in research and when I've talked to people, have said is that they feel kind of bad about themselves because of this. This can lead to a lot of um, self-doubt and even to self-sabotage because you basically try to do this more in order to make up for your deficits. And mm-hmm. that actually leads to more mistakes. Um, so I, and, and it's interesting that you say that um, this is, has been your only career because this hasn't been my only career. Mm-hmm. And this was shocking to me because in the education world, I, I never experienced this. Um, maybe other people in the education world are experiencing it, but it was very much like sit down and write curriculum, start to finish, generally not interrupted. Um, and then when you teach a lesson, there's structure, there's structure to the classroom, yeah. there's structure to the way things are happening. Um, and then there's resolution, right? So you start a lesson and you end a lesson or you, um, you start a unit and you end a unit and those things happen separately. So there's not overlap between one unit and the next unit. So coming into the veterinary environment, what I looked at was I walked in, I saw what people were doing. And I mean, um, in a non-judgmental way thought this is bonkers, what is what is happening I guess I mean like Um, it it really does make sense like (laughs) clearly like an educational career is very linear right like you know the path that you're going down right um and yeah being in vet med is very like all right start this room now once you're done starting that room go back and run this blood work and then when you're done with that go grab this med but then you got to make it back into this room so you can check in with these clients and make sure that the doctor has what they need and then you got to go back and grab this lab work and then go talk to the doctor and like versus yeah, having it- steps or like and i think obviously we're going to talk about it a little bit more in depth but i do think that like if if vet clinics work able to hire efficiently right then you could put people in those 
different departments. So one person could be in charge of, hey, this is this doctor's technician. They are only with this person. They are not refilling meds. They are not doing blood work. They are not doing surgery. They are only doing this. And then you, you know, assign duties. So I do think it's it's just interesting to think about and talk about. I'm I'm excited to kind of dive into it. Yeah. And I'm not naive. I completely understand that a medical environment, my mom worked ER. Um, my mom and my stepdad worked as EMTs. Um, my sister is a neonatal nurse. One of my best friends is a respiratory therapist. I'm, I'm aware that medical environments are not educational environments. And so they, they have to function differently. But where this came from was what can I, what can we take from more structured workplaces and apply to veterinary clinics to make them work better because um, many of them just aren't running as efficiently as they could. Employees aren't having the ex- as good of an experience as they could. Turnover supports that supposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just a career attrition supports that. Yeah. And, so, and I mean, yeah, definitely. Because like what the lifespan of a vet tech now average is what between five and seven years. It's not very long. Yeah. And burnout is the main contributor. And when it comes to how processes work in vet med, like it just. And, and I think that many um, employers, hirers, managers of vet clinics, veterinarians who are frequently the owner, hire, um, hirer and manager of a vet clinic are unaware that things could be different yeah, than they are. Um, because, you know, I'll, I'll see a job posting, for example, and um, my apologies if you've written this job posting, but please stop. Um, that <laughs> will say, must be able to multitask in a high pressure, high volume environment. And I think to myself, all right, well, we might as well say must love burnout. Welcome to the nightmare. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't. I, but I think it's like, it's one of those things though too, like veterinarians, when they went to school, right, they learned mm-hmm. vet med. They don't learn how to be a boss, how to be a manager, how to get, they, they don't learn that stuff. People go to school to learn that stuff. Yeah, And then absolutely. veterinarians are expected to know how to be HR and how to do this. And right. It's, it's the culture of vet med of we've uh-huh. always done it this way. We've always needed to do things this way because a, we don't have the proper staff in order to make it. So you don't have to multitask. And, but it's like veterinarians are getting burnt out too, because they have to play this role that they've never, that they're just figuring out on their own. <laughs> like Absolutely. Which could potentially lead to another of my soapboxes, which is why every veterinary clinic should employ or train someone in HR. Yeah. Um, but um, because, yeah, you can't expect somebody who is a m- m- doctor in veterinary medicine to um, do everything and have all of these roles fulfilled. But but long story short, if I see a job posting like that, what it says to me is that I'm expecting you to work harder and I'm not doing anything to correct the situation. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and that, that to me is a big no. So, so what do, what does multitasking look like? Um, I know I kind of already rambled a little bit about it, but what did you see when you were kind of observing and getting ready to like process this and like research this? Um, well, a couple of things I noticed, um, and I'm, I'm going to say this as things that I've noticed and then I've researched it and 
those observations were statistically correct. And I don't mean any of this to be insulting, but I noticed that the people um, who perceived that they were very good at multitasking were um, more stressed. They were generally very stressed. They were also making mistakes, but they weren't noticing them. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not placing any blame. That is inevitable when you're asked, oh, for sure. when you are asked to do that, that is what happens. That's, that is the cause and effect of that situation. Um, I noticed that a lot of things were left unfinished and some people are able to circle back and finish them later. Um, and, but a good portion of people are not, or do, and, and I mean, they either are not able to, as in they're not given the time to, mm -hmm. or are not able to, as in their brains do not have the capacity to tr like yeah, flag, to, that, to flag that that needs to be finished. Yeah. Um, so that was happening a lot. I noticed that people were, um, people were critical of themselves because of these mistakes and unfinished projects. And they were also being criticized by management. Yeah. Um, and I really, it, it, people were being set up to fail. They, the same management that would criticize them for making a mistake or leaving something unfinished had interrupted them in the middle of something they were doing and said, Hey, I need your hands over here. And yeah. that's, that's, that's setting somebody up yeah. to, to do poorly and they weren't doing it on purpose, right? There wasn't malicious intent, but that no. is, but that is what I saw happening kind of over and over. And I thought, well, I mean, no, no wonder things aren't, nobody's happy with the way things are going. The productivity isn't as good as people want. The outcomes aren't as good as people want and people are feeling um, dissatisfied with themselves and kind of um, attacked or beaten down by management. Yeah. And you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> I feel this article very strongly because like I strive to be the go-to, right? Like I always wanted people to come to me and ask me to do things. And like, I would never say no. And that was, a. it took me until, you know, my thirties to figure out that that wasn't healthy and that wasn't conducive for my brain health. And like, it just, it was hard for me to recognize that like that wasn't okay and like that wasn't how I should function and like I'm not really sure what the trigger was to like to like flip that and be like you know what I need to slow down and do one thing like one thing is I like I felt like I was good at multitasking and I was good at working under pressure but as I get older I realize that I'm better <laughs> Yeah. And that's a really good observation because you can be, people can be good at it relative to other people. Yeah. Um, but not relative to your potential. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I think that was the big thing. And so it's been very hard for me to learn to say no or learn to say, Hey, not right now. Or like, I'm going to have to get to this later and like set myself deadlines, I think was that's, that's hard to learn. So like, like what's happening in the brain when we are trying to multitask? Like what's. So what's happening in, if, if I wanted to summer, summarize it kind of um, briefly is that you're splitting your brain and rather than having an entire area of your brain focused on one thing, you're forcing it to flip between areas. Mm -hmm. um, so you're forcing it to jump from one spot to another. And that doesn't happen quickly. It happens 
okay, it happens quickly. And so far as like quickly in human terms, but quickly, like when it, quickly yeah. <laughs> in human terms, but in, in neurological terms, it does not happen quickly. Um, and it also increases stress hormones when yeah. we're in that situation. And when you're jumping from one part of the brain to another, you're actually not necessarily frequently, you're not forming short-term memories properly. Um, and you're also not synthesizing information in a way that allows you to store it and access it later. And as a result, this is why things get forgotten. And this is why you, if you're doing two things at once, you're more likely to make a mistake is you're actually just not giving your brain the opportunity to process that information. Mm-hmm. And instead you're, you're basically like pinballing it yeah. around trying you know, and, and that's just not an, an efficient way to work your brain. Your brain wants to focus on something mm-hmm. and like double down on it. And you know, make a commitment. And then brains also love repetition. So when you're, when you're multitasking, we'll get into that when we talk about batch processing, Mm -hmm. but when you're multitasking, you're not giving your brain the opportunity to repeat an activity because you're generally doing two unrelated things and repetition um, creates more efficiency and more speed in your brain. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Cause I'm actually reading this book now about creating habits and like, that's a big part of it is like how to train your brain to create a habit. And, but also learning the fine line of when that habit becomes a little bit too automated, then you do start to lose attention to detail and stuff. Uh-huh. Right. Because then you start just doing things like think about uh, a simple daily routine. Like I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is make a cup of coffee, but there's been a couple of mornings where like, especially when I'm trying to do something else at the same time, like say one of the kids is sick or something like that, I've started the coffee pot without any water in it <laughs> or, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it, because it's come, it's become such a habit that now if I do try to do other things at the time that that habit is supposed to be working, I miss those minor details, like adding the water to the coffee pot. Yeah. And it's a great illustration. It's again, if we're not a hundred percent doing what we're doing at the time, then it is much easier for details to go missing. And a lot of times we don't even catch those details because mm-hmm. our brain, fill, like you said, if it's a habit, our brain fills in that information. Yeah. It, it makes a picture, a complete picture, even if pieces of the puzzle are missing. That's yeah. what our brain's really good at. And um, it can trick us into thinking the whole picture is there, yeah. um, even even if there's big holes in it. Yeah, that's it's very interesting to like kind of put that all together because it's like, you know how much like how many minor details you do miss in a day. I was thinking about this the other day because I was like, I don't even know what color like I went to go pick up my daughter from a camp and I was like, I don't remember what color shirt she was wearing until I saw her. And then I was like, oh, right. Like, I do remember that. But like when I was trying to remember so I could pick her out of the group, I was like, how did I miss those details? Like, it's just well, because you can't you you cannot possibly hold those many details. So your brain prioritizes things, right? Yeah. And therefore, you know, that kind of supports this as well, because the more details you're throwing at it, it's forced to choose. Yeah. So when you're, when you're doing too many things at once, it is forced to choose. It can't do all of them. It's just a shame because it feels almost, it feels almost impossible in vet med to not be trying to do multiple things at once. Right. Like, so how do how can we combat that? Um, well, 
there's limitations. So I, I'm going to go ahead and disclaimer this, that a lot of my recommendations are recommendations for general practices or, mm-hmm. or clinics where you have appointments, mm-hmm. um, emergency clinics, I understand are a different thing. You can apply some of these things, but I would recommend that someone who manages an emergency clinic decides how they are best applied because I do not work in or manage an emergency clinic. So I'm not going to speak for them. Um, I mean, one of the biggest things that you can do is actually what you talked about earlier. And it is a, there is a staffing limitation here, mm-hmm. but it's assign people to specific roles and not pull them off of those roles. I have worked in a clinic, well, technically I interned in a clinic where they did this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very large clinic with a large number of staff. Um, and I understand that's not every clinic. My clinic right now is a single doctor, very small clinic. We have four technicians slash assistants on staff. Yeah. Um, if you add up the technicians and the assistants. Um, but we actually do still manage to do this. But in the in the larger practice or in my current small practice, um, divide up the roles as much as possible. So for example, at my current practice, somebody is in charge of the surgery Mm -hmm. and that person is in charge of the surgery. They go do all the surgery things. They get the patient checked in. They get the surgery set up. They're focused on that. Physically, that space puts them in the back, which Mm -hmm. is beneficial because appointments happen in a separate part of the building. Mm -hmm. And so there is less temptation for them to get involved in the appointments or from people for appointments to pull them off. But it's honestly, the rule is just made. They're not available. They are doing something else. They're focused on something else. And you schedule appropriately for that. So rather than adding, if we have one person on surgery, and let's say we only have one person with the doctor, then we do not schedule tech appointments. Because if you did, that would necessitate pulling the person out of surgery and distracting their attention. Um, can you Which make could more... be risky, especially with surgery, right? Like it's could like, be, you don't, it could you don't be want to miss those very, details. You, every detail matters. And yeah, um, you you miss money by not scheduling technician appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not own the clinic, so that is less of a concern for me. Um, <laughs> but I, my friend owns the clinic and I want her to be successful. Um, so I understand that there is a cost to that, in this case, a very literal cost to that. But that's the way that we manage it. And the person who's with the, you know, if there's appointments, we have every other appointment. You're on this one. The next person's on this one. The next person's on this one. Which I think actually is really important because, as we all know, an appointment doesn't end when you walk out of the room, right? It does not. And it also allows the person, so the person who's on the appointment in this case is in charge of everything for that appointment. They're in charge for, uh, you know, taking the history, caring for that patient, uh, making sure that everything's documented in the medical record, taking care of any prescriptions and doing the discharge. That takes more than that 30 to 45 minute time slot And also you do not move on to your next appointment until that soap is closed till you have finished that appointment. Which I think is a big thing for doctors, right? I've worked with so many doctors who saved all their records to the end of the day. And like, I had tried to do that at one point. Like I remember when I was even simply doing my case logs for um, my VTS, like trying to remember all the details of those cases and write 
those details down at the end of the day, I miss things. So I had to, I had to take five minutes and stop and be like, no, I got to write this down first. Like, because I, otherwise I was just missing those important details that could have changed the way my case report came out. Yeah, absolutely. And we're in a multi-doctor practice, you might be able to stagger appointments that way with doctors, but more frequently I've seen parallel schedules where mm -hmm. the doctor is booked back to back, but in two schedules, we have a single doctor practice. So that alternating appointment thing is un unfortunately not available for our doctor, but by giving the technician that much time to finish the appointment, the technician can write those details down yeah. and can do that work for the doctor so that the doctor can move smoothly from one appointment to the next um mentally like they could because they can like just turn it off and be like all right i've turfed this to my technician and they are going right. to finish my soap again tech utilization too right like it's it's big if we could utilize our technicians and our assistants so much more then we can free up more time for those doctors to be able to like not have to spend time what writing down those details but instead they can actually use their brain to focus on the current appointment then the next appointment and so forth like yeah absolutely and it's it's funny you mentioned tech utilization i know that's a hot button issue in vet med i've actually um I've only worked for one doctor that didn't utilize me fully. So I wasn't aware that was an issue. Like mm -hmm. my doctors have generally had me do absolutely as much as I can do. Which is and amazing. Then, it, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, it's been great. And it doesn't mean that I am not constantly checking in with them, um, at least if I don't know their protocol, but it does really help with that workflow. And it really helps. Um, it helps that my doctor is giving me the time to be useful to her so that mm -hmm. I can do that work and finish what I'm doing without making mistakes and utilize your technology. Take pictures. Oh, like our, yeah. bra our brain is not a camera. Most of our brains are not a camera. Um, and take pictures. Like most of us have a phone on us. Um, if there's a wound, take a picture you know, well, I mean, okay, you're gonna, get of... in, you're gonna get into one of my soapbox anyway, because I feel like we should do this anyway, like as part of the medical record. That's oh, I agree, yeah. but like, I agree with you that, like, right, someone say someone simply just brings in a picture of their dog's food because they couldn't remember the name of it, take a picture of it and write it in the record, you know, when you have time to write it in the record, yeah. Um, I think those are big details, and you're right, utilizing technology could be so so much easier if we were able to be aware of like the thing like those minor details that we need to be aware of <laughs> like... yeah and if speed is an issue which it frequently is um so in our current system you know we've got the every other appointment whenever possible there are days when it's not possible um but in order to make that go efficiently we use a text blaze or a text expander as far as using technology mm -hmm. are you familiar with these uh i've never worked with any of them now so basically, um, TextBlaze is one that's available. I'm, I'm not, they, they don't pay me anything. And there's probably other ones available. I just know what I've used. Yeah. And basically, it allows you to preload a bunch of stuff 
And then you just type in a hotkey and it drops oh, it into yeah, yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, We, yes, I did use something like that also called Magical and it worked great. Yeah, it's a little bananas to me that more places aren't using them. I think in more, increasingly are, but okay, so you're the doctor and you know that if an animal comes in um, and they need a T4 recheck for their thyroid medication, the cat does, you want certain questions asked. Mm -hmm. Well, the doctor can build that. Mm -hmm. And then the technician can do that appointment Yeah, because, because they drop that in and all the questions the doctor wants are right there. And some of the questions will have flow chart options. Like if they say yes, ask this question. If they say no, ask this question. Yeah. Um, but really that allows the doctor to kind of be in multiple places at once. Um, it's and, like a way of multitasking, but you're automating some of those habits that right. can be automated. Yes, automate whatever you can automate. And it also reduces the risk of a technician missing something. Um, and it, because they are, you know, doing multiple things. Let's imagine well, that the inevitable has happened and they are doing multiple things. If you have automated some of these things, they serve as reminders and um, check-in points. Yeah, because it's like a lot of us have worked in those places where there is an SOP for something as standard as like a T4 recheck or something. And it's like, yeah, the doctors do want us to ask certain questions, but because like we don't take that SOP with us into the appointment, right. like it's hard to remember all those questions that we need to ask, especially if we just came out of like a nail trim or some other technician appointment where we were just drawing blood um, on an aggressive cat or something, you know, it's like when you add in all the other factors of stress, the like, the ability to remember those other details is it just gets missed oh yeah and and an sop in a binder on a shelf is completely useless um <laughs> sops need to be where people are working yeah um so yeah that's one of them dividing the tasks up is a really big one um that can help a lot another huge one is batch processing mm-hmm and I don't, I do not think enough clinics take advantage of this. And admittedly, our clinic does not take enough advantage of this. So this is where you have a type of task that requires a type of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And you do that in a chunk of time. So mm -hmm. for example, you would fill prescriptions at a certain time of day, and one person would be in charge of them. So not prescriptions that are going home with a patient, but all the call-in prescriptions. Yeah, all the refills. You would, and... Yep, you would say, okay, well, during this time of the day, ideally set aside, but it might be a, when you get done with this, whatever time that happens to be, Yeah. Um, then you fill all the prescriptions. And the reason this is really effective as far as our brains are concerned is because of what I mentioned before, which is repeating a task speeds us up mm -hmm. um, the more times we do something. Um, so that increases efficiency and it also increases focus. Our brains like repetition. Yeah. So rather than every time someone calls in a prescription, filling it immediately, which is the tendency um, to set those aside and assign someone to do them in a chunk of time later does two things. It prevents uh, interruptions to mm -hmm. what someone is already doing, where they would stop what they're doing to quick fill that prescription. And it also allows them to batch process later. Well, and again, it's utilizing staff, which is important for staff to feel like they have a, like a role, right? Like, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to where like, 
when you work in a clinic as a technician or an assistant, like that's all you are. Like you don't have specific job duties. You just do the job of the day. And it just makes you kind of feel like when I was in a clinic working that way, um, I felt very like there wasn't any room to grow because I didn't have any special projects. There was nothing that made me feel like I could stand out in my job. Um, and I think even something as simple as refilling prescriptions is important too, right? A lot of clinics do the double chick system where there's Mm -hmm. two people doing it. And you know how many times that gets missed? Like, well, person A filled it here. So then person B at some point needs to come back around and check it, but we don't know when that's going to happen. And then like, what if they don't overlap and then it gets missed and that med gets sent up and it actually is incorrect. You know, it's just like, I like the batch processing because it, it gives value to someone yeah, that's a that's an angle that I hadn't thought of, but you're right because it it says, look here, you're responsible for that. Yeah, and responsibility for most people feels good. We want some degree of responsibility, but it also increases accountability, right? Because exactly, you if you're the person responsible for it, um, a lot of times your full attention will shift a lot more because you know if. <laughs> If, if something goes wrong, wrong <laughs> it's everyone you. knows who did it. Um, yeah. That's that's a very negative way to look at it. And it's not actually generally how I look at things. But um, it's also good because then that person can be the reference point for if someone has a question because they know who did it. Um, yeah. And in my article, I mentioned other things that are really easily batch processed emails, like rather than responding to emails as soon as they come in, set them aside and maybe twice a day you answer all the emails. Yeah, batch yeah. Them. At like 9 a.m. Um, and then 4 p.m., yeah. you, know, you, you know? Voicemails, um, that's another one where uh, this is, I actually have a whole paragraph about this in my article, where we will stop what we're doing to answer the phone. Yeah. And that is one of the most disruptive things you can possibly do for a few reasons. Talking on a phone generally is a complete flip of skills from Mm -hmm. what you were just doing because you were probably doing a nonverbal task before that unless you were actively in a room with a client in which case you're not answering the phone Um, so not only do you have that task switching cost but also phone calls almost always lead to you having to do something like schedule an appointment Mm -hmm. um, refill a prescription uh, answer a bunch of doctor questions exactly (laughs) and so look how far off track we got with that one phone call. Vet clinics are, for reasons I don't fully understand, though I do partially understand, um, so averse to letting things go to voicemail and then just calling people back later. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where I understand it is because phone tag is a nightmare. And yeah. if you've got and if you've got somebody on the phone, it's very nice to be able to respond to them. Workarounds for that can include working texting in because mm-hmm. if people text you, it's much easier to get a hold of them later to text yeah. them back. Um, so that's one workaround if you're able to work with technology or have a clinic cell phone where you can text because batch processing text is more doable. Um, and another option is just communicating clearly with clients that we do we cannot always pick up the phone during business hours. Um, reception staff is specifically for that. And if they're not available, you might go to voicemail. Mm-hmm. And if you do, we will get back to you within blah, blah, blah. Give them a time frame because if you don't, that makes people very anxious. You know what's funny though is that a lot of voicemails do have that set up. 
like a lot of voicemails have that setup where they're like, if you've reached us during business hours, we will get back to you before the end of the day, unless it's like after 4 p.m., then we will follow up with you the following business day, right? I've heard a lot of that. Yeah, but and it's great. how many people I, stick to it? So those, yes, how many people stick to it and how many clinics even allow the phone to go to that voicemail? Yeah, oh yeah. Rather, rather than saying someone needs to get that when you're, I don't know, actively monitoring anesthesia or doing something that it's very important you not answer the phone while you're doing it. Um, so I would really encourage people to utilize that more often. I think with- it's that people pleaser mentality though, right? Like we, we've all, I'm a people pleaser. It's hard for me to um to inconvenience someone so I'd almost rather inconvenience myself but you're right like it's not it's not conducive to like a good workflow like and it could risk someone else's patient so that's what I was going to say is the way that I've learned to look at it is that you are you are taking from someone yeah and the question is who are you taking from? But it's either... admitting that you're taking from someone other than yourself. Because for right. me to admit that like me multitasking and answering that phone takes away from this patient is hard. Like, yeah, but it does. Know, it does. And it takes, it takes away from the client you're currently with. Yeah. It takes away from your coworkers. Yeah. So basically you just have to choose. And um, there's no such thing as a costless interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um. If, if that helps people, that's the way that I've learned to think of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't think I'm wrong. I think that that's true. It's just the other thing that I think we have a culture of immediacy and mm-hmm. that is very, very tied to emails and phones. So I think it's really hard for us not to respond to an email or a text or a call immediately because the expectation in our culture is that you will respond immediately. So you just set expectations with clients, right? Like we do that at our clinic with um, with emails and with why can't I think prescriptions Mm -hmm. um, where, where we set the expectation that you will not immediately receive an email response. You will not immediately receive a prescription and you need to be, you need to understand that that's, you are on a like 24 hour hold. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Um, almost like retraining the current culture of it is very much, (laughs) it is very much retraining the current culture. And I could go deeply into my therapy notes onto why that's so important, but um, apply it to your personal life if you can. But in the clinic, very much understanding that that culture of immediacy is it does cost something um, and it's not actually meeting the needs that you think you're meeting mm-hmm. because I mean, how, it makes total how, sense. how good of a response are you giving someone if you haven't taken time to reflect on it or if you, ha- if you don't have the time to respond to them. Right. So that's, that's another yeah little, little mini soapbox. <laughs> I well, mean, it really, it it's really a little, is. it's a little mindfulness soapbox of mine. So, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's needed. And I think that's, what's important about that's just kind of like where I am in my life personally, is just trying to reflect on all the things that I do and see where I can improve and see where I need to take a step back and see, you know, and so it's like being able to admit that those things don't help. Right. Like it's okay to say that like multitasking is not what your clinic needs. And I think that's, I think that's hardest because it, it's almost like admitting failure, but it's not, it's just admitting that you want to do things right. 
Yeah. And I think and that's the hard part. It is. And it's admitting that you can, things can look really different and there can be growing pains with that, but that ultimately you are more likely to hold on to staff. Um, one of the studies that I read, and actually there were multiple studies that supported this, but I cited one of them specifically in my article that was really interesting is they had two groups of people doing the same amount of work. It was the exact same work, mm -hmm. but one group was interrupted a lot and the other group was not. The interrupted group perceived a higher workload um, hmm. than the uninterrupted group. They felt like they were doing more work, that yeah. much more work. And they also reported higher stress and reported not feeling satisfied with what they had done. Yeah. And that to me sums up being a vet tech. Um, yeah. And like we cannot afford to ignore that with the turnover that clinics experience, you, you have to fix it. Well, and I think kind of going back to how we touched on like tech utilization and stuff and like having those specific job duties assigned to you really does play a significant role because at the end of the day, a lot of times when I didn't have specific like tasks that were only mine, I felt like I didn't really accomplish much during the day. I just went to work and I came home and like, I'm not really sure what I did during the day. Versus when I do have those set projects or tasks assigned to me, then I'm like, all right, well, I completed this, this, and this. Like, that's, you know, it's, what I it's did. The, that satisfaction of, yes, being able to say, this is what I did and I did it completely is something that most people benefit from. You actually get a nice little dopamine kick from it. I talk to my students about um, just the neurochemistry of checklists and, um, how to organize their homework and about how, you know, quite seriously, you actually get a hit of dopamine from checking something off and completing it. Yeah. And if you're skirting through your day without that, uh, then you don't feel great physically yeah. because you didn't get that nice little, that nice little chemical boost. Yeah. And um, I know you touch on it in your article a little bit, but I think a big thing that gets missed a lot in vet med as well is taking breaks. Like that's, Oh a, my gosh, that's such a big thing. And it took a long time for me to realize because it was one of those things where it's like, when I started my career, like that, like a lot more people smoked back then. So those smoke breaks where people went outside for five to 10 minutes, I was always kind of like, well, this isn't, this kind of sucks. Like I don't smoke, but like, I want to like, why can't I take a five or 10 minute break? I always felt so much more ready to tackle the next task if I take a break in between each task. So like even, yes. even now working from home, working for IMFET, right? Um, I set aside, uh, it is task time um, because I'm reading this book on habits and they talk about tiger time where you set a block of time to do a specific task. And it's usually only like, like you said, 20 minutes. Sometimes it's 40, sometimes it's an hour, but strict. Once that time limit's up, you are done, you take a break. <laughs> like, yeah. And, it's made a big difference in how I work and how much I actually accomplish in a day. Yeah, actually. Um, Even though I go outside for 10 minutes every hour. <laughs> like, Is your book talking about the Pomodoro technique? Is that I what you're using? Uh, I believe so. So the book I'm reading actually is called Atomic Habits. Um, okay. Very good book. I'm not sponsored by it. I just, it was recommended by a friend. And so I'm reading it and they, yeah, they talk about tiger time and yeah, it's basically this technique. Uh, where, yeah, you work for a specific set of time and then you take a break. And the longer you work, the longer of a break you take. <laughs> okay. That is, um, 
yeah, that is also known as or familiarized with me in an educational time management setting as the Pomodoro technique, if anybody mm -hmm. wants to look it up. Um, I think it was established in the 80s. But yeah, very, very effective research shows it to be effective. As you set a timer, you do a thing for that amount of time, then you take a break. And the qual we don't take breaks in vet med enough. We do at my clinic, we take breaks. But um, and people respect your breaks and they understand that breaks are necessary, which is huge. Um, my clinic is running under some special circumstances that make that possible, which I think is great. Um, but yeah, the, the taking the break and the quality of the break, because we have a tendency when we take breaks to, I don't know, maybe I'll just finish this record because that's not that yeah. taxing or, or I'll check my email or my text because my culture of immediacy, it determines that if yeah. someone emails me, I need to respond right away rather than saying, hey, I'm at work until six. And when I get home, I need an hour to rest and then I will respond to you. Yeah, um, I think, I think that's a big thing that's hard to wrap around. Like when I first started working for our internal medicine practice, that was the first clinic I've ever worked at where I had a scheduled lunch break. And our boss at the time was very strict about take your scheduled lunch break. And I was like, no, it's fine. I'll just work through it. I've always worked through, I've never gotten a lunch break. And I'm just like, that's so wrong that I was it's so, so willing <laughs> to give away my free time. And, and really valuable time. Like you said, to that break makes you come back refreshed and more productive. And I, what you said earlier really resonated with me where you're learning to take step backs and do things, but that initially the growing pain of that is to feel a little guilty or to feel a little yeah. bit like, um, you I feel could a be little doing, lazy. <laughs> yeah. I feel a little lazy, could be doing more. Um, and yeah, I think that that's a normal reaction, but the reality is that you're actually then able to put your best foot forward mm -hmm. and be as productive as possible and give a lot more. And then back to that idea of costing something, I think that it helps to get to that point in your life where you're not willing to pay out from yourself more than you can give. Yeah. And I think learning that part, cause that's different for everybody, right? Like that yeah. hits differently too. Like, I'm not even sure my husband's hit that point yet, but yeah. like, I, it's, it's just interesting how much we've driven into our careers and like being successful and thinking that you have to be good at multitasking to be successful. And like, you, you don't, you just have to be good at your job and like getting tasks done, but like figuring out how to do those tasks efficiently. Yeah, it's a mindset shift. And, you know, it's an understanding of limitations as biological, rather than feeling like they're personal. Um, you know, what our brains can do as opposed to, I'm not doing good enough. Yeah. And, and working with what we have to the greatest of our ability, as opposed to trying to force ourselves into a situation that is really impossible. I think it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's like a mindset shift. We're trying to change my mind into thinking that just because I'm not multitasking and doing a million tasks at once in the moment doesn't mean that I'm not doing it all still. I am still doing it all just more efficiently and in my allotted time that I need to do it instead of a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, then go back and we'll do a little bit again over here. And so it's like, I'm still doing it all. Just yeah, it's better. an organization thing. Yeah, yeah, better, more organized. And 
it is important that um, like upper management or somebody who is kind of in charge of the clinic is on board with this and preferably provides the structure for it. Um, first of all, they have to be on board or else it's not going to happen. Um, provided the structure is important because the executive function necessary to organize a day this way isn't something that everybody can do. Mm-hmm. So somebody that can do that, whether that is, you know, like you said, give somebody an assignment if that's what they're good at, let them do that. Um, let them suggest a structure for the day because maybe the veterinarian's not the person who's able to do that. Maybe it is one of the technicians or maybe it is your client service representative who's really good at that. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of those things though, too. It's like, and it doesn't have to be the doctor. It doesn't have to be the practice manager, right? Like it's everybody who works in a setting is a team. And I think again, allowing those voices to be heard and those ideas to be heard and realize that it doesn't need to be done that way because it's always been done that way is still one of those things that we're fighting really hard with culture. Yeah. It's a big hurdle to get over. And, um, yeah, I just really encourage people to consider it, take it pretty seriously if um, for holding on to staff, for making people's careers longer, making them feel better about their careers. Um, but at the end of the day, that does, care. yeah, like that does save clinic clinics money, right? Like if you have a lower turnover rate, you're spending less in advertising, trying to hire these replacements that you're losing. And so it's like, when you spend the money and you spend the time and the energy to care for your staff, to get things done efficiently, everything's going to benefit from the ground up. Yeah, I agree. So interesting. Well, awesome. I, I love it, Alicia. I love it. Great. Thanks. I'm glad. (laughs) I really appreciate you joining me today to talk about this. Um, I will be sharing your article in our show notes uh, and then I hope to have you back on because like you write some of the most like the way I encourage everybody to look up Alicia um, and some of her articles because she writes just a different way of thinking a different way of trying to get through your day and it just it's wonderful I love it well thank you so much um, if people do want to look me up you might have to spell my name for them yes <laughs> <laughs> Because it is an adventure in letters. It, it very much is. I will have Alicia's name fully written out for everybody in <laughs> our episode here. So that way you can see um, and so you can find her. And then I'll also link to that um, publication that you commonly write for as well. So uh, thank you so much for joining me again today, Alicia. And I hope everybody learned something and I hope everybody continues to learn and we will chat with you guys next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the internal medicine for vet techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.